Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7b through 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why... For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to our series that we are calling Weak and Strong. Last week we had the first teaching in our series, and I was, uh, I was joined by Scott Erickson who's also known as Scott the Painter. And there's that. And uh, he will actually join us the next two Sundays in sharing the message. So um, make sure to be there for that. Uh, I love what Scott did to circumvent an awkward church conversation. Instead of having us interact with more of a typical thing, he had us interact with artwork. And so we, together we, we contemplated artwork and the Visio Divina practice that we're doing in the season of Lent. And... Um, this morning, I'm going to do like the complete opposite. I'm going to do the most churchy thing possible. This is the reason why Scott and I are really, really good for each other. He's like artistic and hip and an influencer who gets stopped in public. And I shop at Old Navy. Just kidding. Gap. I mean, I have the standards, right? Um, so my churchy question, and we're not going to say it out loud, but this is just for you to kind of internalize. My churchy question is, what is the story from Scripture that's been the most meaningful to you? I'm going to give you kind of a, just a moment just to process that and consider that. What's been a story, a narrative from Scripture that has followed you or been really, really meaningful for you? Okay, so hold on to that. To recap last week, we, are in, we have entered into the season of Lent. For some people, you don't come from a background of church at all. And for some of you, you've never heard about the church calendar where there's different seasons. But the season of Lent is a time that has a theme around honesty, about bringing our true selves to God. It's about this time of returning to God, returning to God with our true selves. And the way in which we're going to do that for this series is around two characteristics. And last week we talked around this word paradox. These two different characteristics seem to be a type of paradox as they are held together. And these two characteristics are uh, characteristics that have the tendency to mark people who have truly walked with Jesus. These two different characteristics begin to pop up, and they are that of weakness and strength. Weakness and strength. A life of following Jesus will produce in us this journey towards weakness as well as strength. The genesis for this conversation came around five years ago. My wife, Jen, and I were 
at retreat at Lady Lodge near Lakey, Texas. And the speaker for that weekend was a man named Andy Crouch. He's an author. He's done a lot of different things. But he wasn't the draw for that weekend. That's not the reason why we signed up. We signed up because this weekend was called the Food Retreat. And they were bringing out all these different chefs from Austin and San Antonio and Houston to make food for the entire weekend. And plus, kids weren't allowed. And so we were like 100% in, 120% in, and there just happened to be a speaker there as well. That's fine, that's fine, as long as the food retreat's still happening. But as, as uh, Andy Cross was going through the weekend, in one, of his, in one of his talks, it was almost like an aside, he talked about these two different characteristics, that of, of strength and weakness, but the words that he chose to use were more challenging. They were these. Instead of weakness, he talked about vulnerability. And instead of strength, he talked about authority. That seems like higher stakes, right? Like we kind of like more power and weakness than authority and vulnerability because they're kind of, they're, they have different meanings. There's different weight to it. But Andy would define authority as the capacity to create meaningful change. Authority in like the Jesus-centered sense is not the, is not this like power to dominate others. It's not like to lord power over each other, but it's actually to be able to be change agents in this world. People who've been given, God-given like agency to create meaningful change. That's what it's like to live with authority. If you read the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus would call his disciples to himself, and then he would send them out But most of the time, you would find that before he sends them out, he would give the followers authority, the capacity to create meaningful change. And I think we could look around in this world and say, we need people who are change agents for the better, right? This world needs people that can create meaningful change of justice and mercy, of deliverance and hope. Like, this is what this world needs. Another way of saying that is we need people sent out with power, with authority. Meanwhile, that second characteristic, vulnerability, who's praying right now, God, will you make me more vulnerable? Is anyone praying that? (laughs) Probably not. But to reconsider vulnerability, let's define it like this. Vulnerability is the capacity to be wounded. The human experience is that of vulnerability. It's By being human, we are woundable by our very nature. And you might go, really? These are the two different characteristics we're going to look at for this whole season? Yes, we are. And even though many of us, we might hear this invitation and go, like, I'll pass. But, But what we have seen in this world, if we look around, what we've seen is that our lives have been transformed by these two different elements coming together, that of power and of weakness, Authority and vulnerability. Here are a couple snapshots of seeing this. I love weddings. One of my favorite parts of weddings is the toast. When the father gets up to give a toast, I love that moment because usually that's like the moment like the father is like dreading and also like really, really, really intentional with. And so my favorite is when you see the father, the bride go up and he's holding the microphone like this, you know? And everyone's kind of leaning in. You know it's a vulnerable moment. And yet, usually, they're able to speak a blessing. And there's a powerful thing in speaking a blessing. 
that, that is said in that moment. It's a beautiful moment for me. It's this mixture of vulnerability, of feeling exposed, but also it's power. Another moment that we have a snapshot of this is a young woman named Ruby Bridges. Take in this picture here for a second. And notice vulnerability and authority. True authority. Power and weakness. And this little girl changed the world through giving her woundable self. Like she's the one that lived out authority that day. She's the one that lived out power on that day in the midst of her vulnerability. Or if you were to look at a lot of the movies we love the most, it's like these stories of vulnerability and authority. One of the stories that I think of often is, what's, the, what's this movie? King's Speech, that's right. So uh, maybe I think about this often because I'm a recovering stutterer, and so like this movie was like really, really gut-wrenching for me because uh, the more I listened to him stutter, the more worried I was like, maybe I'm going to catch it again and stutter some more. But uh, the King's Speech is a story about... Um, this prince whose brother was supposed to be the king. But then he, uh, he fell into a trap, and that trap was an American woman, right? And so he left the throne, and this man, who never wanted to be king, was then also moved up, right? And now in the middle of this, I think it was World War II, when he needed to be the mouthpiece of hope, a stutterer, he did not want to embrace that change. And it's this story about someone in the midst of their vulnerability coming into power. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that's great that I see that in this world or I see this in movies, but I don't think that's for me. Maybe you might even say, the only way that I will grow into being more vulnerable while also believing that God can actually use me, like the only way is if like God would give me a sign. Like God would have to, like, come to this world to show me that power and vulnerability is the way forward. Like, I mean, like, literally, God would have to come to this world to show me what it was like to live that out, to be woundable, really? There's no way that God would ever choose to do that. No, you get my point, because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to this world to not only, like, say, this is what it's like to live with authority, this is what it's like to be woundable, but he lived it out. And he showed us, by living with great authority and vulnerability, you can change the world. By his wounds, we are healed. By living out this courageous dependence upon God, step by step, this is what Jesus said. And no wonder when Jesus said, come follow me, it was a journey of vulnerability and authority where all of a sudden we begin to realize there's a different way of exercising power in this world, one that defies the mechanics of our society, yet also to be able to hold this woundable, vulnerable, exposed self. Like those two things married together can transform our world. And that's what Jesus showed us. So here's the main premise for our conversation this morning, and to be honest, this entire series. It's this. If you choose to follow Jesus, he will lead you to discover a life of great vulnerability and also great power. If you're willing to follow Jesus through this narrow gate that many of us will opt out of, you will find yourself, you will find yourself and you will help change the world. 
I want to share a way to visualize this. Um, at the retreat, Andy Crouch, at this, he shared this grid. And for me personally, this is when the lights began to turn on for me around this concept. And if I'm going to be, I don't mean too dramatic, but this, uh, what he shared with me and the, the, the journey I went on with God afterwards, it revolutionized how I read Scripture, how I see the gospel. And it's with this grid here. So, um, so on this, is this the x-axis or the y-axis? It doesn't matter. Anyways, that up and down one, the top part is like truly powerful. And remember, the capacity of creating meaningful change. Down here is this idea of, of when people are, are powerless, either through their own choices or because the circumstances that they have, they have been stripped of their power. So that's the power scale. This right here, left or right, that's the x-axis, all right? Thank you, all right? I went to A&M, I know. Uh, that's uh, less vulnerable, not really woundable, and this is highly woundable, highly vulnerable. And so when you start holding this together, the idea or the concept is you can put an X on this grid for everybody in this world. Like somewhere on the scale of authority and vulnerability, powerful, powerless, highly woundable, less woundable, you can find yourself somewhere on this grid. So for instance, this bottom right power, this is a life of um, low power, like they don't have the capacity to create meaningful change, and they're high vulnerable. So when we think about who this is, these are people who have been taken from this ability to create meaningful change, and they're also highly vulnerable. So this is where oppression takes place, systems of poverty, slavery. I want you to like, think of who's embodied in this, in this quadrant right here. So highly vulnerable, they're not given much power. So we oftentimes can slide over into here. Like honestly, last year during the freeze, all of a sudden we found ourselves right here. And it was a bizarre experience for us people because we have a tendency not to feel very powerless and vulnerable in our life. And so collectively, that's why that, that experience was so traumatic is because we lived here for a little bit. But there's some people, this is where they spend their entire life, right there. Okay, so then there's also the bottom left, which is low authority, low on the power scale, and lowly, uh, lowly vulnerable. These are people who don't exercise change, nor do they really care to. It's like low risk, low return. For example, maybe this is someone who's hiding out at their parents' house playing Xbox, not choosing to move forward in the world, kind of stuck in that. Or maybe it's like the idea for me is like going on a cruise. Like, I want to make no decisions other than what buffet to go to today. I want the dinner bell to ring. I want to just be on the ship and just show up at whatever port they are in a dock in. You don't have to tell me where we are. I don't really care. I'm just along for the ride. All right, so that's the kind of that. To be honest, um, oftentimes, this is like the American dream of retirement is like, no one needs me. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And I'm, I'm not vulnerable. Like, I have my nest egg saved up, and I'm fine. Um, so oftentimes, that's where people find themselves. Um, okay, top left of this quadrant, before you show it, just think about this person. So these are people who have the high capacity to create meaningful change, but also don't experience vulnerability. 
Okay, so these are people who, this is honestly our idea of worldly success is here. And an interesting thing is when people experience a lot of power without vulnerability, that's what happens. Um, No, uh, when they experience a lot of power without vulnerability, there will be always this temptation to dominate, to exploit, right? Like, just by itself, power without vulnerability has this ability to distort. And to be honest, a lot of the conversations we've had in the last year and a half around privilege, (laughs) it's because of this quadrant, how our life can kind of slowly creep over there. Um, I was struck with, uh, I'm going to reference Brene Brown during this series because she worked, she has done so much work on vulnerability and I think it's worth talking about. But I remember hearing an interview clip on this show called On Being, which is a beautiful show around spirituality. And uh, I want us to listen to it now. One of the things I talk about all the time when I'm working with leaders, I mean, I've, uh, every, you know, from CEOs to special forces troops, I always ask the same question, most recently NFL teams. Give me an example of courage that you've seen in your life or that you yourself have engaged in, any act of bravery that was not completely defined by vulnerability. No one has to this day, even special forces. I mean, even when Navy SEALs can't tell you, (laughs) then no one can tell you. Like, Mm -hmm. because the problem is there is no courage without vulnerability. But we're all taught to be brave. And we're all warned growing up to not be vulnerable. Yeah, right. And so that's the rub. And so when you have bravery without vulnerability... That's when you get what we're looking at today. Mm. All bluster, all posturing, no real courage. So a great example right there of bravery without vulnerability. Bluster, such a shell, and it's one that's not rooted in true courage, which always will require vulnerability. That's what leads us to our top right over here. Top right is high authority and high vulnerability. These are people who have, who have learned to exercise this God-given agency to create meaningful change, but do it from their vulnerable self. They do it in proximity. They do it usually in the context of relationships. They muster up the courage to place themselves in situations where they can be wounded. And they lead through that space. They lead through relationships, through intimacy and and vulnerability. Lately, I've even been thinking about what's going on in Ukraine and how the two different leaders that we are hearing oftentimes, Zelensky and Putin, how they are embodied in these two different top quadrants, right? Like Zelensky choosing to stay in Ukraine, choosing to be there vulnerable. And you know, like, there are a lot of people who look at that leadership and go, that seems a little bit different than what we see in Putin sending off 18-year-olds who don't even know why they're fighting into harm's way uh, from the privilege, from the privileged place of safety away from the battlefield. So this right here is a place, if you were to live in this place, it requires humble power, connection, and courage. Now, what is my conviction is that life flourishes when we live up here, but it's really hard work. My guess is some of you 
struggle with either vulnerability or authority more than the other. There are some people who, and this has been my experience five years ago till now in visiting with many people. There's some of you who love to be vulnerable. They love to like, express their, their true self, to be woundable, but they actually disbelieve that God can use them in this world. Maybe God can use other people, more learned, more skilled, more gifted, but not me. So they're vulnerable, but they actually don't believe that God's given them power. And then there are other people who are change makers. You can make life happen, but you have a hard time entering into sincere and authentic relationships where you are vulnerable. You have this inclination to armor up, to guard, to protect, to stiff arm. And many of us have learned to do that because we have been wounded in the past. And so we learn, we're given tools as life goes on, how to move away from vulnerability into being less vulnerable. But I believe it's there that true life awaits. And one of the reasons I believe this is I think most of the stories that we have, most of the stories that we, um, this is my conviction, is one of the reasons why is I believe this is because most of the stories that we absolutely love are stories about people who find themselves beginning of the story somewhere over here and through the movement of the plot, it moves the character into that top right quadrant where they find themselves and they experience uh, who they truly are in this world. They call it the hero's journey, if you were to know that about literature. It's this experience of growing into weakness and also surprising strength. And you can put an X on that grid and track someone as they go through the plot line. And oftentimes what you will find, if it's not a tragedy, they will end up in that top right quadrant. And this is, for me, even with that movie, The King's Speech, you will find in that movie, he begins the story kind of here. Like he, he's hiding out. He just wants to be the second, uh, the second uh, brother, even if in that first um, pick. Can you go back to that first pick of The King's Speech? I want you to notice this. If you were to watch this movie, you will find that number throughout the movie. Is this subtle marking of he is the second brother, the second uh, in line. And what you will find in this story, you can go back to the other, uh, is that there is this, this catalyst of change that happens in his life to move him into greater authority and vulnerability. It is depicted perfectly in this scene. So we're going to watch this scene here. It's a speech therapist just got found out that he wasn't an actual doctor. And so people are discrediting all of his work and they're tearing it down. Everything that he experienced as a therapist with his client, who's now the king, now they're trying to tear it all down because they just discovered that he is not a true doctor. Okay, thanks. Lock me in the tower. I would, if I could. On what charge? Fraud. With war looming, you've saddled this nation with a voiceless king. You've destroyed the happiness of my family, all for the sake of ensnaring a star patient you couldn't possibly hope to assist. It'll be like mad King George III. It'll be mad King George the Stammerer. Who let his people down so badly in their hour of need... What are you doing? 
Get up. You can't sit there. Get up. Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair. That is... That is... That is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. chair is the seat on which every king is held and queen... by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon. You are, are trivialising oh, everything. You trivialise... I don't care how many royal listen arsenals have sat Listen to me! Listen to me! Listen to you? By what right? By divine right, if you must. I am your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening because to you? Because I have a right to no, be, and I have a voice! Yes, you do. You have such perseverance, Bertie. You're the bravest man I know. You'll make a bloody good king. What is the work of grace in that moment? What was happening there? It was this discovery that he has a voice. The thing, as a stutterer, I can tell you, is the thing you feel imprisoned in your body, and you don't ever want to use your voice. You hide out. I used to hide in the band hall to eat my lunch by myself in middle school. You can laugh or you can cry with me. They're both funny, and it's sad at the same time. But I would hide in the band hall by myself with a locked door, lights turned out. Why? Because I was so stinking afraid of the middle school cafeteria. I know all of us were, but when you can't speak, it's even worse. But the work of grace teaches you along the way. You have a voice. And I love that small little thing. You're the bravest person I've ever met. Why? Because he's willing to step out in vulnerability. We are drawn to movies and stories that tell us narratives about how a character can transform and move from one of those quadrants into the place of acceptance of weakness and acceptance of true strength because I believe that's the true story, the big S story of our lives. That is the work of grace in our life. So I'm curious, what was the story earlier when I asked the churchiest of all church questions, what is a Bible story that has been meaningful to you? If there are a couple of you guys who would want to share, I'd love to hear what it was one of the stories that's been really meaningful for you. Samaritan woman? Joan in the well? Healing the blind, Christ healing the blind. Peter walking on water. So, all of those stories, we could pick it apart one by one. All of those stories are about a movement of someone who is vulnerable. It was the story of a Samaritan woman going to eat a drink and gather water. Uh, because she was being oppressed by the social standing of that day. She was looked down upon, she was demeaned, and she was second-rate. And she was also second-rate as a Samaritan, and the work of Jesus was to come after her to show her that there's living water in you. Uh, the story of Jonah was a story about a, a person who begins here, actually, and is told by God to go and preach good news to the people you hate the most. And Jonah runs he wants to go away, so he gets on a boat and begins to sail, uh, sail away. But then what happens? A big fish happens, right? And then he's moved into being in a very, very, very vulnerable state. And then God brings him into this place where he's using his voice and preaching this word. Oftentimes when Jesus heals people who are blind, 
He'll say things at the very end like, your faith has saved you. Why? Because it's not just about Jesus over here making things happen, but it's actually your faith, your agency has been the thing that has kicked on this healing power. It's actually been you. Your faith has saved you. One of my favorite stories is the story of the prodigal son. I, that's the story that I've followed in my life, and it begins with a story about <clears throat> a younger brother who wants his father's things but doesn't care for the father anymore. And so he acts out of this place and asks for his inheritance right away. And then he goes, this, is, this whole series is making me feel a little bit short. I'm like trying to reach it. Um, so then <clears throat> what does he do with his inheritance? He goes and he squanders it on prostitutes and wild living, which is a bit of, over here, privilege, right? And kind of hiding out too. But then something takes place that moves him out of that, that less woundable state, which is what? A famine comes. And when a famine comes, it doesn't matter who you are. And so he finds himself over here and he is taking care of pigs and he's looking at them eat, and he goes, man, I could eat that as well. He's in this really low place. But then all of a sudden he remembers that my father has servants too, and he treats them better than I'm being treated. Maybe I'll return, and I'll stay here, but I'll be taken care of. And he comes back home, and the story is the story of grace because what the father does, the father's looking for the son, sees him a far ways off, And before he can go through his pitch about being accepted back, he is embraced. And if you were to look at at that story in in very very careful careful detail, what you'll find is that the work of the father is not just to welcome the son home and send him off to where he belongs. He should be as a slave, but he covers him. He gives him a signet ring, which is, if you know that culture, that gives you the authority just like the owner, that he gives you the authority and the power of the father. He's saying, I don't want you to stay here. You're my son. It gives him authority and vulnerability, and he stays in that relationship. What we find in the Gospels, what we find in Scripture, is this beautiful journey that God is working to lead people to greater vulnerability and greater power. We especially find that in the life of Paul. If you were to know that story about Paul, Paul begins with his name as Saul. He orchestrated persecution. He, he was standing there with the men's robes at his feet at the very first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen. And after that, he began to travel from village to village. Scripture says he was breathing out murderous threats. Where would Paul be there? He would be someone of great power, social standing, religious standing, and he's going from village to village, either killing or imprisoning uh, imprisoning, uh, Christians. And he's stuck in their top left. And then all of a sudden, something has to move him. The thing that moved him was Jesus. As he's walking down the road, Jesus shows up in his radiance, and he blinds Paul. He blinds him. He moves him into this experience of vulnerability that he had not had. He blinds him, and then Paul has to be led by the hand to the local village. Meanwhile, God was speaking to a Christian there named Ananias and saying, there is a man who's about to come to you. His name is Saul. 
And he's like, isn't the one that's trying to kill all of us? And God's like, yeah. Okay, but be vulnerable. Live out authority. And so Paul sh- Saul shows up, and this is what happens. Ananias shows us what vulnerability and power are. Listen to this. Paul, blinded, came to the city, and this took place. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his what? Strength. Paul had this journey where he was being emptied. He was being emptied of pride, of status, and of ego. And upon arrival, Ananias says, it's time for you after you have been emptied, it's time for you now to be filled, but be filled with a different kind of power, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And upon receiving God's presence, his blindness left him. And notice that last line, he regained his strength. I don't think it's by chance that that's the last sentence in that passage that Paul would demonstrate what it looks like to exercise a different kind of strength. He was transformed, and Paul left that old life behind. From that point on, Paul lived out a very different kind of life. Sure, he has some cantankerous tendencies, as you can find in his writings, but you can see that he embraces his weakness and his dependency on God. And like Louise read just a little bit ago, In 2 Corinthians 12, there is this section that kind of opens up the hood into his soul, and it lets us see into how God had transformed him in a new and fresh way. It begins, 2 Corinthians 12 begins like with this biblical humble brag contest of like, I could could say all, all these different things. I could boast. But then after that, he turns the conversation to talk about his weaknesses, and how he has this thing that he is powerless to change, a thorn in the flesh, something small that can make you really uncomfortable. And then he says this. What was God up to with that? God wanted to show this. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. See the paradox? Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in being woundable, in difficulties, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is a strength in weakness. There is a power that's released when we're vulnerable. Because I believe it's like that top right quadrant. It's like when we live there, that's the only place where we can learn to live with dependence, trust, courage, and faith when we are abiding and remaining in Jesus. That's the place where God can show that God is faithful, is loyal. It's living there that we can actually partake in what Paul said that My grace is sufficient for you. I truly believe that we won't find our true selves anywhere else. Anywhere else. And I'm just curious if we actually believe that. That when you are weak, then you are strong. I was listening to two friends who are part of uh, 
uh, two people who are part of AA, they're in a recovery program, they were talking about their experience in recovery, and one of them said recently, they said, it took me a long time to realize that my powerlessness is my superpower. That like when I truly embrace the fact that I'm powerless in this situation, that's the only place where I've experienced that, oh, there's a power that's released all of a sudden. And I wonder if we actually believe that. I wonder if we believe that his grace is sufficient, like it's enough for us. I wonder if we believe that when we experience weakness, then we are strong. So if you look at this grid, I'm curious, like, where would you put yourself today? Where would you put the X that marks your life where you are today? Are you in the bottom left? Are you hiding out? Are you fighting vulnerability? Are you, like, seeking to not risk much, even though you know that you're created for more? Are you in the top left? Are you living, like, with a lot of power and not necessarily with vulnerability? Are you seeking to climb up that ladder of success or prestige or affluence in the pursuit of doing that? Maybe you've left people behind, you've hurt others, you've made success the idol, achievement the ultimate goal. Maybe you're in the bottom right. If you're here, you probably are feeling helpless today. Maybe you feel like life has happened to you, not the other way around, and you're tired of being tired. The feeling of helplessness and hopelessness is easy when you're there. Or if you follow Jesus into the place where you feel vulnerable, but you also know that it is in your weakness that you can make a change in this world, that you can experience a power and experience the fullness of his grace. Okay, so if y'all will, go ahead and grab your postcard. This is uh, each week, um, Scott is going to create some artwork for us. We're going to practice something called the Visio Divina. If you don't have a postcard, there's some in these chairs over here on the way out. And so a Visio Divina is, some of you might be familiar with Lectio Divina, where we look at a piece of scripture in a prayerful posture. We're going to do that with artwork during this series. So each week, uh, Scott's going to share with him, us a piece of art. And this week, the uh, piece of art is called Take the First Step. And for me, I see this progression. Maybe, you know, as I consider the different uh, narratives, even Paul, as we just read, this progression into a place of vulnerability and of strength. And then on the back of it, we have a prayer practice, a spiritual practice. So my encouragement for you today is to use this little guide for an opportunity to review the day. And for us to spend our days looking at, where did I spend my day on this grid? Like, if I were to track my day, where was I? And what did I experience in the midst of that? We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.